going to have two more weeks in Galatians, this week and next. And then um, looking forward to three weeks of, of Easter focus. And as a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a prelude, we're going to do a joint Easter service um, with Bacton, um, which we'll have at 9.30. So if anyone has brunch plans or trying to figure out how that would work, um, Easter service will be 9.30. Um, Jeff is going to do a sunrise, um, shortly after sunrise, but a sunrise-type service. Um, there's going to be a little bit more robust uh, food downstairs, more of a brunch, and then we're going to have a collective um, service with both of our churches together that he and I will will do together. So there, now you know that. Now the Galatians. Pardon the green paper. As we read the Bible, we we have so many things shown to us. We we come to see who God is. We come to see what God is like. We see who we are, either in Christ or apart from Christ. But there's something else that we see, too, that we're going to look at today, and that's how we're to live as children of God. You know, we've, we've gone through Galatians up to this point, and Paul has unpacked his apostolic credentials. He's shown us what the gospel is, the one true gospel, and what a false gospel is, anything that adds to or takes away from the gospel. He's then taught us what that, how that applies to our life. He's shown us the errors of the Judaizers and how legalism creeps in so easily. And then starting in chapter 5 of Galatians, we began to look at the implications of the gospel in our lives. We looked at the freedom that we have in Christ and the joy that comes from knowing you can't lose your salvation just like you couldn't earn your salvation. You don't have to impress God. And then the motivation that comes from being in a right relationship with God that prevents us from going to the error of not doing anything with your faith. The assumption that, well, you know, just tell Jesus you're sorry and you're forgiven. It doesn't matter what you do. You've probably not really understood the gospel at that point. We've talked about walking by the Spirit. Last week we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, no S, just the fruit of the Spirit. And I hope, hopefully beat into your heads how we bear that fruit. You can't make it. You can't fail. Remember, you want me to do that again for you? Or did it stick? Well, this week, we're going to look at the give and the take of the Christian life. I apologize for the, the typo. If you look, latka, it's from my Jewish background. Those are the potato pancakes, but that should read take. Latkas have nothing to do with the service. So they are, they are yummy if you'd like one afterwards. <laughs> the give and the take of the Christian life. We're going to look at this passage of, of the last verse of chapter 5 and the first, um, well, we'll see how far we go into Galatians 6. And we'll examine this give and take. Let me read it to you, and then we'll go back and begin to unpack it. I'm starting in Galatians 5, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own works, and then he has reason to boast. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Give and take. That's what I saw there. Let's start with the take. 26 of chapter 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You could fly right by that passage and miss the whole thing. Paul is showing the danger of legalism in the life of the believer that prevents us from bearing burdens. Let me show you what that means. Conceit. Do you know what, what conceit means? It means not feeling properly glorified, so you try to find worth in yourself through using others. He shows how this plays out through two worms, two words, provoking and envying. Think of it as, as playing the game of life. And we all fall into this trap one way or another. Provokers are one who like to challenge to a contest. They're, they're the people that have the, the superiority complex. I'm better than you. I know I'm better than you because if I look at your life, oh, you're just trashing it. But see, I'm doing it great. Now, now, I go to church all the time, and you miss all the time. See, God loves me better. I share my faith all the time. You hardly ever do. It makes me much more robust and holy Christian. Thank you, God, that I'm not like these people. Oh, you mess up. You sin all the time. You keep stumbling and tripping and falling. Oh, poo on you. But look at me. Look, look how wonderful I am. That's a superior. That's a provoker. We tend to fall into that in certain ways. I'll show you in a minute how to identify it. But the opposite is the envier. An envier is someone who wishes they had what someone else has or that, that someone else didn't have it. What does that look like? Someone who has an inferiority complex. They're not winning like the provoker. You know, they're not, wow, look at how good I am. In their minds, it's, man, I really stink. I can't do anything right. I, I'm just rotten. I, I, can't, I can't do anything God wants. I'm just a miserable wretch. And, and then they have to find faults with other people. Well, you know, they only look like they're doing good stuff because it's fake. They, they don't, they're not really like that. They're, they're just hypocrites. You know? Well, they don't deserve that. Why do they have that? They shouldn't have that. That's not right. They, they're trying to, to play this legalistic game of life to find their worth. This is where conceit comes into play. Now, I'm sure that you and I don't have any problems with this, but in case you know someone that does, let me give you a couple of, of diagnostic tests. Do you tend to blow up or clam up? Do you tend to pick arguments or avoid confrontation? Do you tend to get down on people or find yourself intimidated by people? Do you, when criticized, do you get angry or discouraged? Which quote would you say more? I would never do that. Or, I could never do that. You see those differences? We all fall into one camp or another, tend to be more into one than the other. I could tell you which one I fall into. You could probably figure it out. This is a result of pride. It's a result of not fully understanding the implications of the gospel, and it's what prevents us from living the lives in large part that God calls us to. You see, the gospel makes us humble and bold. C.S. Lewis has a great, a great definition of humility you see that this week? I put that out there. It says, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's a wonderful definition of humility. That's what the gospel gives to us. It gives us boldness and humility. Humility how? Why are you forgiven? What did you do to earn your forgiveness? We've been through five chapters of Galatians, right? 
What did we do to earn our forgiveness through Christ? The only thing you brought to the equation was your sin. That's all, you know. I brought the problem. That's all, that's all we have to offer. There's nothing you did. What did you deserve? An eternal torment in hell, separated from everything conceivably good. Take your worst nightmare, magnify it a million times, and that's what you deserve. The wages of sin is death. What do you get? Eternal life, by grace, through faith. You see, that, that gives you a humility. God, I'm not good. I'm horrible. I'm good for nothing, rotten sinner. But you love me. Why? You forgive me. Why? I'm what? A son, an heir? Why? You see, that gives you humility. But it also gives you boldness. Because we all want approval. That's where this provoking and this envying comes in. We're trying to find our worth. Well, your worth can only truly be found in the gospel, which is in the only eyes that matter in all of creation. You have complete and total acceptance. You know, God says he will glorify us. Read that through the scriptures and think about what that means. Through faith in Christ, your father adores you. He loves you. He accepts you. He is pleased with you. You don't have to earn anything from anyone else. The only one whose opinion matters, you got it. The, you, you are loved more than you and accepted more than you can ever fully fathom. And as you understand the implications of the gospel more fully, you don't look at people and think, oh, what a horrible good-for-nothing fool. Or, I could never do that. David went out with a stone and slew a giant. How did he do that? He didn't. God used him for it. Big, powerful people like kings. Saul, strong man, right? Solomon, kind of messed. You see people, God, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Paul says here, speaking to the Christians, let us not become conceited. Don't, don't, don't get messed up in where your worth comes from. Don't fall into the errors of provoking one another or envying one another. And here's why. He says, brothers, sisters implied, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, in the American church, that means this. Oh, they messed up. Look, look, look. That's not what the word says here. Caught means ensnared, trapped in a cycle of sin. Okay? So it doesn't mean where to go around. Like, oh, Renee, what were you doing yesterday at 4 o'clock? You want to share with everybody? Okay, see? <laughs> I don't know what she was doing. That's not what this is talking about. And if you live that way, you have some provoking issues or envying issues. But if you find someone who is caught in a cycle of sin, we tend to, in the church, hopefully not this church, in the American church, chew them up and spit them out. Oh, we don't want messy people around here. Get them out of here. Paul's saying, when you understand the fullness of the gospel, when you have the humility and boldness that comes from it, when you see anyone caught, trapped in a cycle of sin, you who are spiritual, meaning you who walk by the Spirit, remember we talked about that, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Think of it like a broken bone in your body. It has to be fixed or the body's not going to work well. We are the body. And when we see a brother or sister who's part of the body, child of the same father we have, I love that word brothers. How often do we think of each other as, as relatives? Brothers and sisters in Christ. That is an eternal relationship that we've been entrusted with by our Heavenly Father. Well, when we, if you see a, a, a physical brother or sister hurt, don't you help, right? You know, I have a sister. When we were kids, still to this day, if my sister calls and she needs help, I go. How much more so in, in the body of Christ? I used to define, was it last week I told you about the love test? Would, would you take the hit by the bus for somebody? Well, the love test, I, the, um, 
There's another test I call the, the 2.30 a.m. test. Was it Hillary Clinton had the 3 a.m. phone call? I don't know where that started. I make it 2.30. I stay politically clear here. <laughs> Who do you feel comfortable calling at 2.30 in the morning and say, I need help and know that they would come? Well, in my naivete, I will always insist that in a healthy church family, you should be able to open up the directory and call anybody on it at 2.30 in the morning knowing they got your back. They're not going to, what, what, what do you mean you're drunk? No, they're going to they're help you not get drunk. Why are you calling you? Your car's broken down. Don't you have AAA? No, they're, they're going to get out of bed because they got a family member in trouble and they're going to help you. And we should have a comfort. And it shouldn't just happen like that. You know, that, there, there are people that, that can do that. You know, they'll come into and they'll just start calling everybody at 3 in the morning. I need to talk to somebody. What but we should have that comfort with one another as brothers and sisters in faith who are not conceited, who are not provoking and envying, willing to restore someone caught in any transgression. Now, notice what comes next. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Now, see, when you understand the gospel more fully and, and the battle between the old self and the new self, you don't look at people who mess up quite the same. Because you recognize that you're no different than they are, except by the grace of God. The reason you don't sin is because of the power that God has entrusted to you, put in you through the Holy Spirit and opened your eyes, right? You, you would be just like they are if not for the grace of God. And we need to remember that, and we need to keep watch on ourselves lest we too be tempted. See, you don't ever look down on people, oh, you stink. We're good at that too in the Christian community. You know, too many people go out with these signs. You, you know what the signs say, basically slamming people, the turn or burn signs. You know what? There, there, is an, there is an element of truth in that. Turn or burn. It, it's true. Repent while there's still time. But let's put the love and the mercy and the grace of God in there and say that we were just like you. Because the implication is you're messed up. God will clean you up. We forget to tell him we're messed up and we're still messed up, which is forgiven, right? Lest you too be tempted. Then he says here, bear one another's burdens. Now, you don't necessarily want to read this stuff because God puts us into the messy muck of life. He's saying, I want you to live in fellowship. We'll get to that in a minute here. With your brothers and sisters in the faith, recognizing they're screwed up people. Yeah? They, they, they're going to annoy you, frustrate you, bother you, take up your time, wear you out. They, they, it's like family reunion every Sunday, right? Is I want you to care for these siblings of yours who are my children. I want you to bear their burdens. What does that mean? It's interesting if you jump ahead to verse 5, each will have to bear his own load. So pick and choose. You want to help out or you want to let everybody do it on their own. This is the great political debate of our time. No, there's no conflict at all. He's saying that we need to make sure that if we find a brother caught in sin or sister of any age, that we have to bear that burden. But we're also all entrusted with a load to carry. I'll give you an example in a family setting. Say that, that you have a parent who has an addictive behavior. Say that they're addicted to drugs, right? And they've spent all of their money or they're addicted to gambling, whatever you want. They spent all of their money in this, this addictive behavior, and they're, they're struggling under the weight of this sin. Well, we as brothers and sisters in Christ need to come alongside them, not berate them, but restore them. You know, like the good shepherd, the cast sheep. He picks them up, helps them get the gas out. You know, I'm the good shepherd. The psalm gets a little, little dirty sounding when you get into the mess and the muck and the mire of sheep tending. 
we need to come alongside someone in that situation and help restore them. That doesn't just happen quickly, does it? You have to get into the mess of their life. You have to deal with the, the problems that come with a messy person and, and, and deal with all that yuck. That's what we're called to. But at the same time, they have to bear their own load. What's the load? The load is the responsibilities and circumstances God entrusts to each one of us with the unique giftedness that he gives to us. In this case, parenting. If I'm stuck, let's say that I become addicted to gambling, and I run just completely out of money, we lose our house, where now I shouldn't be serving as your pastor at that point, but as a brother in the faith, you should restore me, help me get my feet under me, but you can't be the parent or the husband that I'm called to be. That's my load. That's what I have to carry. I have to be a father to my kids and a husband to my wife. You can't do that. That's on me. That's what God's entrusted to me. So you restore me by helping me with the burden so that I can carry the load that I should have. Do you see that? That's what the church is to be about. Paul's speaking primarily to believers, believer-to-believer interaction here. Now, I've noticed in my years as a believer that this is rarely seen out there, isn't it? When it gets a little too messy, you get going. You know, if you, if you want to find a healthy church, look for a bunch of screwed-up people with issues. If you want to find an easy church, look for a bunch of people that look just like you, act just like you, and don't share too much about themselves. We call those country clubs where I grew up, but you can also call them churches. God also says, by your love for one another, they'll come to know my love for them. I'm paraphrasing there. When the world watches brothers and sisters in faith bear one another's burdens and equip one another to bear their own loads, they start to say, why do you do that? Why, why the heck... Would you care for a screwed-up person like that? Don't you know they had it coming? Oh, what an opportunity to share the gospel. Do you know what I had coming? Do you know what you have coming? I'm so glad that God's a God of second chances, a God who's patient and mercy. You see that? What an opportunity. God often gives us the opportunities to share the words of salvation as we walk in obedience in the lifestyle he's called us to. Do you see that? There's no hypocrisy when you're bearing burdens and sharing about the burden that Christ bore for you. There is when you refuse to care for people and then try to tell them how much God loves them. What we need to do is understand the take aspect. God is calling us as believers to take one another's burdens. Sound like fun? No. Sound like something you just can't wait to do? No. It requires a committed relationship to one another where you grow in trust. It's awkward. You walk up to a complete stranger. Here's all my troubles. Can you help? Unfortunately, though, that's where the world functions. How many people really know you? How many people do you really know? I don't mean about you. You guys know how many kids I have, what my wife's name is. You may know how many years I'm married. You know where I live. That's about. But the stuff in my heart, that that, that deep down, what, what concerns me the most about life? What am I most scared about? What am I most passionately excited about? What are my hopes and dreams? That's where you really know someone. But that requires trust, right? That requires a familial intimacy that develops over time. You can't have that in the world. You can't. But you're called to have it in the church. This, the the church, is to be the safest, most secure place for the believer and even for the non-believer to come in. Every Sunday when we gather in part, it's an opportunity to invite a friend to a family dinner. You know, Thanksgiving, Laura's parents often invite people to join us for, for dinner. 
they get to come in and see the dynamics of how that family interacts. You know, I wasn't always part of that family. But they get to come in and observe what the family does, how the family cares for each other, how the family interacts, what the family's all about. Well, when a non-believer comes in here, that should be what they see. They should see a family that gets together to worship their heavenly father who love one another and welcome them and let them know daddy's still adopting. We'll bear your burden. And you'll bear ours. Because it's give and take. Well, there's the take and here comes the give. Look at verse 6. This is an awesome verse for every pastor to preach. One who is taught <coughs> you the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. That's me. Take a special offering. What, what is going on here? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, this is a very clear text. I would never hedge against this. It says very clearly that those who are taught should share what they've been entrusted with in the material realm with those who teach. Now, if you stop there, it gets a little bit awkward. Well, what's he after here? I'm just after telling you what God says, but I'll even show you why and what he means. You see, if I'm a faithful minister of the word of God who truly trusts God, I don't depend on you guys to put food on my table. I don't say, God, please allow God's Grace Bible Church to provide my daily bread. No, I say, God, please provide my daily bread. Now, he will use you in the process, hopefully. But it's not, I'm not going to ever, someone hold me to this, I'm not going to have a stewardship campaign here to try to eke a little bit more money out of y'all, okay? Shame on me if I have to manipulate for provision. But shame on me if I fail to, to, to show you what God says. The teaching here isn't so much about what you're giving, it's about what you're getting. Let me show you that. Koinonia, you ever hear that term? It's a Greek word from where we get the word fellowship. You know, we have fellowship time at, at 1045. Coming from an unchurched background, that has been the word that has rubbed me the wrong way for a long time. In seminary, friends of mine used to get together for fellowship. Well, before seminary, we used to get together to watch football. Same thing. There was no difference. So the first time I was invited to a time of fellowship at a friend's house, Laura and I, we, we went, and we're like, what are they going to do? <laughs> like, I thought we were watching football and having dinner, but they said it's fellowship. You know, so we're like, do we dress up? Do we go in jeans? Or do you bring your Bible? What do we do? It was very confusing. Fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. It means to have in common. And often, you'll see the early church especially, Acts 2, 41 to 47 as an example, had their material possessions in common. Remember how no one had any needs? This is actually not redistribution of wealth. It's understanding of where it all came from. It's a different culture they lived in. But they, they lived in fellowship with one another. They shared their time, talent, and treasure for the good of one another and the glory of bearing burdens and carrying their loads. So it wasn't that when Barnabas, remember he was a rich dude who sold a field. It wasn't that Barnabas, they said, Barnabas, you have too much money. Bring it and let us allocate it evenly among the brethren. No. But Barnabas had a lot of money. So he brought some of that money and he entrusted it to the leadership of the church so that the burdens could be cared for. Nobody was going hungry. Ananias and Sapphira, 
They had a lot of money too. They got dead. They had a little issue with integrity. Remember that? So it's not about redistributing. It's about sowing and reaping. Look at this. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So the precept is that you who are taught, and I'm taught too. Every Christian needs to be under the teaching of somebody. Okay? You can't, the Christian life is not, it's not a self-life. It's not, stay at home, pick your favorite preacher on TV, read your Bible, you're going to grow. You're going to struggle immensely. That's not the way it should happen. I understand for some people there are periods of time you go through that. I did that for a while. It's hard to find a good church. It's hard to find someone who can teach you. It's hard to find a pastor that you can trust and and be faithful in their integrity and, and build a relationship. I understand. But in a proper setting, every Christian is to be under the teaching of someone else, including us pastor guys. You know, God didn't just, boom, it's all in my head, and I'm just a, a robust, mature Christian man. No, I need, I need to be under the teaching of someone else and care of someone else as well. It's saying, though, that those who teach us, we take what God's entrusted to us and provide for them so that they can continue to teach. It's an exchange of spiritual material blessings, but the focus isn't on that. The focus is on what you get out of it. Did you see that here? It says, God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, one will also reap. He says, for the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's an agrarian illustration. If you sow cotton seed, what do you get? If you sow corn seed, what do you get? If you sow spiritual seed, you get a spiritual harvest. If you sow sow fleshly seed, you get corruption. It it rusts and decays and goes away. Well, we're all entrusted by God with a, well, that's really skinny today, with a certain amount of cash. It's not yours. It's his. When When I went off to college, I had a credit card my dad gave me. He took it back after college. And it was the the safety credit card. It was, if I ran into a situation where I needed help, I could use it. I could also buy books with it, and I could buy food with it. I really want that back. (laughs) But each month, if I did something off with that credit card, my dad would pick up the phone. So usually it was just my mom at home. I'd call home, my mom answers, my dad is, you know, the, the four rings, he never gets there, so he just gives up. I'd talk to my mom, occasionally my dad would pick up. Hey, John. Hey, Dad. Look at the credit card bill this month. Oh, yeah, about that. What the hell are you doing? What the heck were you doing? Uh, well, Dad, I, I had to give an account for what was going on. It wasn't mine. It was his. Well, similar with God, but much different. He doesn't have to wait for the credit card bill. He entrusts seed to us so that we can sow. What you sow, and it doesn't mean that every material, time, talent, treasure, your money and and every ability you have does not have to go into the spiritual seed casting realm. I'm not saying cancel cable, return your car, get a buggy. Well, you have to pay for a buggy. Walk by foot, barefoot, shoes cost money. I'm not saying that. But there are certain, certain ways in which God calls us to use his resources. And as we do, we're going to reap. Whenever we sow sin, we're going to reap corruption from that. Often we think we could just, we can just sin easily and there are no consequences for sin. There's always a consequence for sin. In Christ, there's no condemnation, right? Big difference, but there are consequences. God is a loving heavenly father and he also says he'll discipline his children. There 
there's also no seed sown in the spiritual realm by the Spirit that's not going to reap a harvest. That's a promise of God. You can cast and sow corn seed, but you're not guaranteed corn. It might not rain. There might be a, an infestation of a locust. Who knows? A harvest isn't guaranteed in the agrarian realm, but in the spiritual realm it is. So what, what Paul is saying, what God is saying through Paul here is, not only bear, not only the take part, bear the burdens, but the give part. Share the blessings that God's entrusted to you. It's actually the one area where God even calls us to test him. Did you know that? I'll pack that for you another time if you like. God's not going to let you starve to death unless you try too hard. I shared this story with you. I think it was real conversations, right? When, when, we, um, when, when Laura and I came out here, the, that whole situation with the, the church we came out for, and we found ourselves with two little boys, a, a mortgage, and way less income than we had been led to believe we would have. And I remember saying, we're going we're gonna to lose a house. What are we going to do? Where are we going to I was freaking out. I had a little idol called a house. And Laura said to me, if you want to hold on that tight to the house, God will probably take it from you. But if you want to trust that God will provide, it'll be just fine. That's a joyful place we get to walk in. My, when we go to Wegmans, my kids don't say, do we have enough to afford the Oreos and the Apollos? Can we get both? Are we going to run out of money? What about, what about the gas bill? Did you guys think about the gas bill and, and the mortgage? Do you have enough? for? No, they're like, can we have this? I say, yes, they get this. You know, they, they're not worried so much. Well, well, folks, when we understand who we are and we're walking in obedience to God, we, we don't have to have any fear. We can reap a bountiful harvest and we get to have the blessings that come back from that. Do you see that? We sow seed and get to enjoy the blessings. But you got to sow. And it has this interesting verse. Let us not grow weary of doing good for tomorrow morning you... No, I didn't say that. Oh, in due season you will reap if you do not give up. Don't grow weary. So there's clearly a tendency on our parts to grow weary and to give up. No. God, I tried. I tried so hard. I tried for so long. I can't do it anymore. I'm sorry, God. I got to go. No? Paul is saying, you're going to want to give up a lot. Don't. Stick with it. Persevere. Endure. Be faithful to the end. Because if you endure, if you don't give up, it says you will reap. Not you might reap. You will reap. Do you see that? As believers, this principle isn't just for, for providing for the one who teaches you. No, that, that's the tiniest aspect of all of this giving that we do. We're to be receivers so that we can be transmitters for the glory of God. Think about that. Think about how much time, talent, and treasure we invest in stuff of the flesh. I watched this show last night. It was absolutely hysterical. It was an hour and a half, and I can say it was a complete waste of time. I mean, I laughed. Laura and I had fun together watching the show. It was wonderfully, completely appropriate. But it was an hour and a half of just laughing. I had a bellyache afterwards. It was wonderful. It was a complete waste of 90 minutes. I don't think that God was displeased because God, I think, is perfectly fine with his children laughing. But if I watch this show in perpetuity every evening for three hours, well, all of a sudden I, I'm sowing seed that's complete waste and it's going to come back and bite me in the tail. I'm not going to be equipped. I'm not going to be prepared. I'm not going to have the intimacy with God that he desires. And I'm not going to reap much of anything when it comes. Do you know, when we share the gospel, often you watch a, a movie or you hear a story and you assume that people just come in droves and, and they come to believe and they grow in their faith and everything's wonderful, but that's not reality. Read some biographies of missionaries and, 
And you'll hear of families that went into to places, and you don't have to go very far anymore, just outside the church doors, who can toil for years and years and years and never see the fruit of their labor. They preach the gospel. They love sacrificially. They invest in the lives of others. And for decades at times, they see nothing. Ah, but God promises there will be a harvest. He doesn't promise you'll see it in this world. But he promises there will be a harvest. What does that mean? I wonder how many missionaries over the years have died and gone to heaven and seen a face they remembered from their time on earth, right? I wonder how many people, you have to be, well, we're all missionaries by, by call, right? I wonder how many believers go to heaven and someone comes running up to them and says, hey, hey, do you remember me? No. Well, I was sitting two tables away at Panera one night and I was listening to a conversation you had and, and God really grabbed a hold of, what? You know what I'm saying here? Throw the seed. Time, talent, treasure. Paul speaking here, dealing with material blessings being shared with those who share spiritual blessings. I won't hedge on that. God says, Jesus says it in Acts, it gets quoted. It's better to give than to receive. Do y'all really believe that? I, 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 like, I like receiving better, you know? I use that at Christmas for other people, trying to encourage them with their gift giving towards me. But it really is. That's just so countercultural. It's better to give than receive. I remember JJ, uh, a couple years ago, he was getting his offering together for church. He pulled a lot of cash out of his little mowing envelope. I mean, he took like half of what he made for, for months. He said, I, I want to give this to God. And I remember me thinking, I was about to say I bit my lip. Luckily, I had read something the day before similar. I always say, buddy, that's way too much. Shame on me if those words passed my lips. A little boy, seven-year-old boy, wanted to give to God. And I'm about to tell him, that's, that's irresponsible, buddy. That's way too much. See, he understood better than I did. It is far better to give than receive. Because when we give to God, we will reap if we don't give up. But if we hold back, we don't reap like we should. And that reaping is, is full of blessing and joys, and wonderful stories. You see, with, with this aspect of the one who teaches, when I teach, not just here, but any opportunity I have, it is seed that goes out. I don't know what the heck God's going to do with it. Not at all. But I know he's going to do something because his word never comes back null and void. So in your supporting of me, it enables me to do that. And our supporting of one another enables all of us to go out and be ministers of his word, missionaries in the lost world. But this is not just about teachers and those who are taught. It's about the lives we live, about give and take. Bear one another's burdens, share what you've been entrusted with, and you do this because you understand the implications of the gospel. If God didn't withhold the life of his very own son, why is he going to withhold little stuff, right? He provides every good and perfect thing that we need. And he shows that in the fact that God himself dwelt among us, became one of us, lived the perfect life in our place we couldn't, took the wrath that was due us upon himself so that we could have the righteousness that was his placed upon us. Why? So that we could have an eternal relationship with God, he could dwell in us, and we could spend eternity in his presence where every next day is better than the last as we await the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, look how God made a way for us to have that. And then we think he's going to starve us out and make us miserable here. Shame on us. That's the old self battling the new self. Guys, this is how Christians are to live. 
messy, it's countercultural, it's counterintuitive, it's not always going to be easy. But if we want to have the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, this is how we live. We're not doing this to, you never ever give something to God because you're going to impress him. You never ever give, you know, you never get, don't, don't try getting up at 4.30 in the morning reading your Bible like you're going to impress God. No. It took me a lot of years to figure out, I still don't do 4.30, that's very early. For years it was an academic exercise, especially when I first came to faith. I wanted to get up and read my Bible to get information, like I wanted, I wanted biblical ammunition in my head. Because I was going to battle. I was going to wield it. It's, you know, it's called a sword, but we can call it a gun. Well, it would wear you out. You get up that early and you start reading just to get information. I mean, I was taking notes. I was, I was reading commentaries. had nothing to do with anything. I was, you know, I was just reading and getting and getting and getting. Now, God's used that, I think, but despite of me, you know, in spite of what I was up to, you get the opportunity to get up early in the morning, to stay up late in the evening, to carve out 15 minutes in the middle of the day, to spend time with your heavenly father, to hear from him. You know, how many people you say, would you, would you like God to speak to you? Right? We go, oh, yeah. Here. I mean, that's what this is. It's God desiring to communicate to us, to reveal to us who he is. And as he does, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We begin to live these crazy lives in the eyes of the world. We walk in obedience, understanding the implications of the gospel in our lives. And we begin to be able to joyfully sound crazy, joyfully bear one another's burdens. Why? Because we know the burden of ours that, was bore, that Christ bore. We're able to give of the, of the time, talent, treasure, the blessings we've been entrusted with. Why? Because we understand the blessings that were given to us. You know, everything you have in your life is from God for his glory and your good. Every minute of every day that's entrusted to you is for his glory and your good. The chief end of man is to know God and live with him forever. That sounds great. I pulled it right out of the Westminster Catechism. As we do, we find joy that surpasses understanding. We find peace and comfort. We're able to truly be humble and live before a lost world as strangers who this is not our home. So then the words we share, the words of life, the gospel, it has some credibility to it. Not only that, it has the power of the Holy Spirit working behind it to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Too often, most of my friends, all of my extended family, they're non-believers. Too often I hear conversations where people see the bride of Christ, the church, in ways that are sad. But I understand what they're saying. They, they see it as a messed up institution. Well, it is. It's full of messed up people. They, they see it as it's full of hypocrites. Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. But what they're failing to see are brothers and sisters living in fellowship, genuine fellowship with one another, because they understand how they became brothers and sisters, what it means to be brothers and sisters, and who their daddy is. You see, it wasn't always convenient growing up to have to help my sister out. But as my dad taught me as a young age, it's your sister. Family cares for family because it's what we do. Yeah, and he laid down the law, so you do. Well, God does that too. He says, family cares for family. It's what we do. And then he says, listen to what your brother has to say. You say, who's my brother? Ah, what does Jesus call us? You see that? We got a really awesome big brother on our hands. And he shows us how to care for each other in the ultimate way. 
That's what we're up to here. We're beginning to see the implications of the gospel lived out. But you have to understand the gospel to live it out. Otherwise, it becomes an unmanageable burden. But when you understand it, it becomes a joy beyond delight. Let's look at this text one last time and we'll pray. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for your encouragement, your endurance, and your perseverance. I pray that we would not ever grow weary of doing good. I pray that you would enable us to do good, first to the brothers and sisters, and then to all, because we understand the good that was done for us. Father God, I just praise you for the fact that you love us, not because of what we do, but because of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done. Lord, you know our hearts better than we do. And there's a part of us that doesn't want to bear burdens of anybody's. We have enough of our own. There's a part of us that doesn't want to share anything of our time, talent, and treasure, because we need it. You don't understand the times like we do, Father. But I thank you that you lovingly remind us that you know all things that you will care for us perfectly, that this is where faith comes into play, that we walk by faith and not by sight. Father, I pray that you would do a mighty work in and amongst this church family. I pray that you would help us to truly love one another, that you would help us to, to put up with one another lovingly, not provoking or envying, but seeing one another as what we really are, your children who became your children at a very dear and extreme cost. And I pray, Father, that you would use us as a light in a dark world, that as others saw us here on Sundays or out in the world interacting in various ways, doing good to them who are not even of the household of faith, that you would use that, that you would use the seed that is sown by our works and by our words to bring people to come to know who you truly are. Father, we know that we can't make a single soul believe in you. That takes a miraculous work of being born anew. But we do know, Holy Spirit, that you dwell in us, that you are the one who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, that no one will come to believe unless they hear. And they have to hear the word of God, and they hear it by those who have beautiful feet, as Paul tells us in Romans. I pray we would have those beautiful feet. I pray we would walk by the Spirit for your glory, Father, remembering what Christ has done for us. Lord, help us be givers and takers, just not in the ways of the world, in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.